says this, uh, 10 and 11. Now, I'm just going to pick out 11. The, the, the context is 10 through 13, but for the sake of time, I'm going to focus on verse 11. Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as being, here it is, in control of everything. That is a great stress reliever. If you ever get freaked out, discombobulated or knocked off your balance, I find for me, it's really good for me to say these few words. God is in control. God is in control. God, and by about the fourth or fifth time, I get it. And it starts to reorient me around the truth of God's word that as that scripture says, we adore you as being in control of everything. God is in control. doesn't matter what your situation is, what your health is like, what your relationships are like, God is in control. He is sovereign. And that's what we're talking about this morning. He's control of everything that he created. That's nature. And he sustained, he created nature, and he sustains all of nature. And when he wants to overrule it, to do a miracle, what is that? It's like the law of gravity falls, but if I want to interrupt that, I just grab that ball. I can do it whenever I want. And that's the way it is with God. He overrules it when he wants to, but it is his prerogative. Now, so God's in control of nature. He's also in control of history. We need to remember this. Rather than getting blown away by the shenanigans going around in the political realm, God is in control of history. And by the way, the future. The Bible says that everything is moving towards an end point, a focus. And that there is a plan and there is a purpose and a climax that history is moving towards. And nothing can stop that. Nothing. That's great security. That gives my heart courage. And then God is in control of our lives. What do you mean? Well, Scripture says, and people forget this, that God's sovereignty decided when you were going to be born, like little Felicity. He knew the exact day and moment, the exact day you were born. That is no random fluke. Have you ever thought, gee, I'm glad I wasn't born in this country or at a different time? Anybody ever thought that apart from me? Or some people wish, I wish I had. Well, guess what? You don't have any choice in that. That's God's sovereignty. He sovereignly decided where you were going to be born, in exactly which country, and when. Well, how do you see that? Well, here we are, Acts 17.26, NIV. From one man, by the way, right there, there was a literal Adam and a literal Eve. Never vary on that, because Jesus supported that. From one man, he made every nation of men. There's the end of racism. We're all one race. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Here it is. And he determined, he determined sovereignly the times set for them and the exact places that they should live. Whoa. And God also decided how long you should live. Job 14.5 Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you 
And you have appointed his limits. He cannot pass. That, my friends, in those two verses, is a very clear description of the sovereignty of God in all of our lives. And the Bible says he has also given sovereignly decided what gifts, natural gifts you have and your children's gifts. Before they were even born, those creative talents, God gave them to you in his sovereignty. You did not earn them. And can I say this to you? What God has gifted you with, he expects you to use for the extension of his kingdom. They're not just given as a a funny ha-ha and some random happenstance. He has given each of you, every single person sitting here and listening to this, has been given gifts sovereignly by God to be used for the building up of his kingdom and his bride, his church. This is the most precious thing he's coming back for. He is not coming back for a non-profit He is coming back only for his church and the true church. Now you may ask, and the thought may occur to you, if God is in control of everything, do I even have a choice? Is there really any freedom? Let me just be, that's a whole subject. Now, if you want to drill down on that, my theological father in the faith wrote a brilliant book on this. This is a very in-depth subject. It's called chosen, but free. Chosen, if you want to drill on that, but free. At some stage in your Christian life, you need to get your head around that one. That's by Norman Geisler. Chosen, but free. So is there any freedom? Yes. But I want to, I want to qualify that. You have limited freedom. There are boundaries that you cannot go beyond. You do not have total freedom. For example, it's like if you were to get on a ship tomorrow and head off towards Tahiti, which wouldn't be a bad idea at this time of year because it's a bit nippy, you could do whatever you wanted. You could play cards or you could read a book or you could sleep or you could swim. You could be on the first deck or the second deck having dinner. It's your complete choice there. But I'll tell you what, nothing you'll ever do will change the destiny of that ship. It is going to get there whether you like it or not. There's lots of freedom on the boat. But again, nothing you can do will alter the ultimate destination of that liner. Now the Bible says that God gives you freedom to choose. Moral choices. And you are free to make those choices, but you are never free of the consequences of those choices. God says you reap what you sow, and so do I. If you do A, then B is going to result because God is in control and he's not mocked. So today I want us to take the biblical idea, which is thoroughly biblical, that God is in control, his sovereignty, and I want to apply it to your lives. Because what you need to do whenever you study theology, which is incredibly important, theology is the study of God. You need to say, okay, if this is what it means, if this is the truth, how does it apply to my life today? How does it make an impact on my life? And what does it require from me? So today I want to look at three areas, your plans, your problems, and your prayers. How God's sovereignty affects your plans 
your problems and your prayers. Number one, the first thing I want to be really clear is because God is sovereign, my plans have a limit. They've got a limit. The Bible says that since God is in control, my plans have a limit. They are tentative. Ever notice that? Because <laughs> things sometimes quite often don't go quite as planned, right? It may happen, it may not. Now, you may have heard, or actually some of you may have even used this phrase, and it goes something like this, well, the sky's the limit. Actually, the fact is, the sky isn't the limit. God is. And he decides what the limits are in your life. Here's a good verse to get your head around this principle. Proverbs 29, 21 says this, many, oh yeah, many, 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 many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Proverbs 16, 1, a few chapters back, says, we may make our plans, but God has the last word. That's his sovereignty. Circle, God has the last word. Now, have you discovered that things don't always go the way that you plan them to go? And at best, what we can say is our plans are tentative because we cannot see perfectly ahead like God does. We looked at that in the first few weeks, God's omniscience. He knows everything. See, often you and I make plans, but I've found that God has a better idea. For example, let me see your hands here. How many of you did not marry the first person you thought you should marry? Me. I was praying for somebody to marry at seven years old. <laughs> and I had exactly the right girl. Thank God I didn't. <laughs> How many of you are not in the first career you thought you'd be in? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, look at that. Plans change. There was a time in my life I wanted to be a pilot. I thought, that's a useless job. I'll be away from all of my family. I'm not going to do that. Then I thought, well, I'll go into politics. I thought, forget that. That's a waste of time because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. God changed my plans. Now I'm a pastor. Friends, we need to be flexible in our plans. So here's what I'm getting at. Therefore, the wrong attitude is presumption in my life. I know I'll make my plans and I'm going to do what I want to do. Be careful. That is the wrong, that is prideful. And God is opposed to the proud always. Never is he for the proud. He's against them, but he gives grace to the humble. Now when I say, well, I, what really that's saying is, well, I don't need God. I can figure it all out on my own. Well, I can't. You know, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not even going to pray about it and give it to the Lord and say, well, Lord, I, I offer this to you. As, would you please correct me if I'm wrong? Direct me. Correct me and direct me. And I assume that my ideas and my will is God's will for my life. I'm going to be careful about that. I'm going to be humble. That's called presumption. Now, the Bible says that since our life is uncertain, we should not presume on it. And the classic passage on this is James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. It says, now listen, listen up, he's son here. Hoy, you lot. That's what he's saying. 
That's the sort of tone he's got here. Because James is clear cut. He doesn't mess around. This is like the Proverbs of the New Testament, James. Now listen up here, you guys, who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city and spend of the year, we'll make a ton of money, you know, carry on business and make money. That's the attitude, presumption, see? Why? He says, to the audience he's talking to, he says, you guys don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Instead, he says, don't be so presumptuous. Say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live. That's a good start. (laughs) And do this or that. Right? See the more humble attitude? Friends, don't get me wrong. It It is good to make plans. Scripture makes it clear. Man makes his plans. Are you making plans or are you just drifting? But when you make those, make sure you submit them to the Lord. And I really mean that. Are you spending as much time praying about it as preparing the documents for the next bit of debt you're going to get into? So it's good to make plans as long as you understand they are tentative. And here's the deal. A mature person, a mature Christian, make sure that their plans are flexible. Flexible. Because some people... Make plans and they get super stressed out. If anything varies, they are hyper stressed out. So I make plans, but I realize that ultimately God calls the shots in my life. And he's allowed to. Now, that was the wrong attitude is presumption. The right attitude is cooperation. That's the right attitude. Next slide. I include God in my goal setting. I include him. See, you may have these goals, but the question is, you've only got a certain amount of time. What are you supposed to be doing in your life? Is this moving you towards your goals in life, the goals that God has for you? So I include God in my goal setting. Well, how? Well, you pray. See, anything without prayer is presumption. Anything without prayer is presumption. So instead of saying, well, God, I want you to bless what I'm doing. I've got this fantastic plan. Would you bless it? Uh, uh, uh. That's the wrong way. We're going back to the presumption. The right way to say is, God, would you help me to do what you are blessing? So that you're blessed. That's the right attitude. Proverbs 16.9 says this. We should make plans. But notice this. Counting on God to direct us. Counting on it. That's cooperation. We make plans, but then we realize they're tentative. God, what do you want me to do with these few years that you've given me on this earth? Remember they described sometimes as a steam coming out the kettle. They start and then gone. You think it's a long time right now? It is not a long time. God, teach me to number my days that I present to you a heart of wisdom that I haven't spent time going down too many cul-de-sacs. Dead ends. So since God is in control, point one, my plans have a limit. They're limited. What about my problems? The next point, because God's sovereign. Because God is sovereign, my plans have a purpose. Uh, My problems have a purpose. My problems have a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 6, verse 7, Philip's version. He says this, in the context where they were, at present, and this may apply to you too, 
you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. Read trials slash problems. This is no accident. You may want to circle that. This is no accident. The problems that you're facing. It happens, what's the next part? To prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. So Peter is saying this very clearly and simply. Friends, your problems are not a series of random events. They're not. That have no meaning at all. If you're a child of God, nothing can come into your life without first passing through the Father's desk, getting his permission, because God is in control. Everything you hap- that happens in your life, everything is Father-filtered. It is not an accident, these problems that you've had. They're a result of living in a fallen world, and we are strangers in a foreign land, and this is not our ultimate home. But God will use our problems for his purposes. But we can certainly be... We can be certain of this. In spite of evil and persecution, which is coming to God's church in New Zealand... In spite of pain and in spite of hardship, God will sovereignly bring about good results which will benefit you in the long run. It'll develop your character. Now, a quick four points about trials. Four quick truths, which I didn't put in your outline. Trials, firstly, are necessary often to humble us and to turn our attention from ourselves to God. That's one thing. They're distressing and painful and difficult. And they're not good and they're not delightful and they're not easy. They are varied and diverse and they come in different forms at different times and different durations. That's what's going to happen. But they're also revealing, and this is what they do, they prove the genuineness of our faith. That's super important. Just as gold, when it's refined by fire, all the rubbish is burnt off and it's demonstrated to be authentic gold. So what I'm saying is this. God permits problems and then he uses them for a greater purpose in your life. God is a pro at turning tough things and bad things into good things. He's an expert at taking problems and bringing them out a greater purpose out of them. See, Paul could has stopped, God could have stopped Paul from being in prison at Philippi. Think about that. God, he's sovereign. He could have absolutely stopped Paul from having to spend a long time in prison. But he let him go to prison. He allowed it. And as a result, the jailer became a Christian. Them and all his household. And by the way, it was about midnight when that happened. And he even got baptized in the very early hours of the morning. So no excuses for ever delaying baptism. God allowed Jesus to go through the crucifixion for his purposes so that he could bring many to salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. 
And God will also likewise use our trials and our struggles and our persecutions to refine us, to strengthen us, and to grow our faith. So instead of asking the question, why me? We should respond to our problems with a new set of attitudes. And if you can just back, back up a second, JP, that's perfect. I want you to think about these new problems with a new way, with some new attitudes. Number one is when you, to respond to these problems with a new set of attitudes, number one is confidence. When you bump into those problems, I want you to have a sense, and the Bible says have a sense of confidence, that God knows and plans and directs our lives for the, for the good. Now, sometimes, admittedly, it is hard to calculate the vector or the trajectory, but God always provides his love and his strength. And that leads to a better future for you and I. So you can have confidence. That's an attitude I want you to have. Don't, get, don't cower when you feel those problems coming. Have confidence because God is sovereign. Number two, have the attitude of I'm going to persevere when facing grief or sorrow. Or pain. We express our grief, it is real, but we don't give into it. It doesn't overwhelm us. And it doesn't turn into the bitterness and resentment, because those are the things that'll kill you. They'll rob you of joy. Bitterness, don't do that. Persevere through it. And then three, the third attitude I want you to have as we move into this uh, into those problems and go towards them is courage. Have courage because Jesus is our brother and our saviour. And there's no need to be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. He who suffered for us will not abandon us. So, let's recap. Because God is in control, my plans have a limit. And because God is in control and he's sovereign, my problems have a purpose. And your problems will never out-trump God's purpose for your life, ever. So let's take a quick look, a quick fact check on this, because the Bible was written to give us an example to encourage us. Let's look at the responses and attitudes of just two guys. I could have chosen virtually anyone in the Bible. But let's pull out Joseph and Job. Job, as you know, was the wealthiest guy around. And he lost a whole lot overnight. He went bankrupt in modern terminology. And all his family is killed except his nagging wife. Perhaps she should have been killed. <laughs> and then he got a dreaded disease. And he's miserable. So this is about as low as you could get. Lower than a lizard's belly. But I want you to know something. Even Satan could not get a job without God's permission. You go read it. See, Satan, it's not like God and Satan are both equal and they're fighting all the time. No, no, no. That's absolutely wrong. God has all power and he gives Satan a certain amount. He says, this is your square. Stay in it. So don't get freaked out about him. That's why you don't hear me talk about him a lot. He is governed by God. And he, God uses even him for his purposes. And that's a whole other subject. Way too deep for fast now. Satan had to come to God and say, can I do this to Job? He only loves you because you bless him so much. And God says, mate, you can do this and no further. And that's what he was bounded. 
Satan can't get at your life without God's permission. Again, there are not two equal gods. There's one God of equal authority and power. Not true. There's one God, and even Satan has to do what he says. And he only allows them there for a short period to produce a family of tested individuals. What do you mean? A good example of that would be Peter, Jesus said, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. See? I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you return, encourage your brothers. He does not have carte blanche authority to create havoc wherever he wants. I want you to be provoked about that. So again, he only allows them here for a short period of time to produce a family of tested individuals and then he will have served his purpose and he will be destroyed. If you lost everything the way Job did, how would you respond? Well, this is Job's response. Job 1.21 The Lord gave me everything that I had and they were his to take away. You may want to circle that. They were his to take away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a heck of a mature attitude. He had it right. Job didn't throw his toys at the cot. Job said, everything I have comes from you, God. He gave it to me. He can take it all away. It says right. Now, the end of the story, if you read all the way through, God later restored everything he had that the devil had taken away. And Job was twice as wealthy as twice as many kids. God is in control. Friends, for some of you feel like God has turned the tap off on this area of your life. If he's done that, let me tell you this, don't panic. Because he can turn it on in another area of your life. If you lose a job, do not stress God is your provider. He can give you another one. If you're bankrupt, it's not the end of the world. Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He is in control. He's a good God and he knows what he's doing. How about the other guy? We've looked at Job. What about Joseph? Joseph, as you know, was an example of how to respond when other people hurt you intentionally. And there are people that are going to hurt you intentionally. Let's not sugarcoat that. Now, there's a big mistake with Joseph's dad, for a start. He favored one son. Don't do that, parents. Grandparents, don't do that. With God, here's a biblical standard. With God, there is no partiality. None. So your job as a parent is to love all of your kids equally. They may not love you back all equally. In fact, some of them might be in a real strop with you right now. That's their problem, not yours. You love them all equally. Do not show favoritism. That is a horrible thing to have in the family. So you have to get your head around that. Some are more awkward kids to deal with. You know that. I know that. (laughs) But you still love them all equally. God loves us all equally. There is no partiality with God, so be like your heavenly Father. Anyway, 
Joseph had these rather unsavory brothers who were jealous. I understand they were provoked. I get that. But nevertheless, what they do is they get all jealous and they decide to sell their brother into slavery. Flog them off. We'd call that trafficking today. That's what they were doing. Let's not sugarcoat this. And then they lied and told their father that their, his favorite son had been killed by a wild beast. They sell him into slavery and then these other slave traders sell him again into a man's house. And then on top of that, so he's been sold twice like chattel. Then on top of that, the man's wife has the hots for him, tries to seduce him. Not a good move, man. And you won't give in. I love what he did. He ran from the temptation. He didn't play with that. Jeepers. That's a word for some of you today. Do not play with temptation. It will bite you. And it will have consequences in your life far more than you can conceive. The man's wife tried to assume, but he won't give in. And then she's so ticked off, she accuses him falsely of rape. Man, sometimes false accusations stick, even if they're false. So he gets thrown in the clink. Remember that? Bang. And they're not nice foo-foo jails that we've got today. These are hard stuff. And he spent years, let me just say it again, years dwindling, forgotten in jail. And about that point in time, it's quite reasonable for perhaps you or I to think, well, what have I done to deserve this? How's this work? Now, if you were Joseph, honestly, would you be saying, why me, God? Or some words to that effect. But you know what? He was exactly where God wanted him to be. Because God is in control. And he's sovereign. And he can use that flogging off and accusations and jail for his glory. God was working through the circumstances and in the situation. Now, God did not cause that, but he can use it. And he allowed the brothers to be sell him into slavery. Now, later on, as you read that story, Joseph rose to a position of great prominence in Egypt, right? When there was a great famine. And because of his wisdom, both Egypt and Israel were saved from that. And later, he came face to face with his brothers who had deliberately sold him down the swanee. Genesis 50.20, if you have your Bibles, one of the great verses in the Bible, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to hurt me, but God intended it for good. Circle that. God intended it for good. You could say, if you were Joseph, God is in control. God is in control. And it was the truth. So God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, some of you are hurting right now because of bosses or brothers and sisters or spouses or other people. Or, and they mean to hurt you for bad. But God can use it for good. God is in control. 
And he means it for good, and he's got a purpose behind every problem. So what is the key to my response then? It's to look past the pain and try to find God's purpose behind the problem. Now, some things in life we're never going to know. So let me be just clear on that. That's real. Here's one. Why do certain people die at certain times? I don't know. Here's what I do know. We all die eventually. But why now? I don't know. But God has a plan and God is a good God. He's in control, so look past the pain. 2 Corinthians 4.16. This is the reason, friends, we never lose heart. Never lose heart. These troubles, which are temporary, are winning for us a permanent, glorious, and solid reward. Here's a good part I like. Out of proportion to our pain. I love that. Our pain is this, our reward is this. Out of proportion. God says the problems are temporary that we're going through right now. A minor, small fry compared to the reward you're going to get on the other side for how you handle them. Look at, in the very next verse, Paul says this. This is how we do it. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we don't look to the temporary problems that we're going through. We keep our eyes firmly fixed on the eternal. That's how Jesus endured the cross. Because he looked forward to the joy that was set before him. And those things on the the other side are the things that really count. All this stuff doesn't matter a hill of beans. That's godly perspective. Look past the pain. So God's word says, because God's sovereign, your problems have a purpose. Right? And your plans have a limit. What about your prayers? Because God is sovereign and in control, my prayers are effective. My prayers are effective. Next slide. The Bible says that God is in control, my prayers for his purposes are effective. God says this never says, oh, well, that's too hard. The Bible says in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The Bible says that a God-honoring prayer is effective. And the basis for every miracle in the Bible is God is in charge of everything. So he can change things. He can overrule nature. And he can heal somebody. He can make it rain or not. He can split the Red Sea. He can turn water into wine. He can do anything he wants to do. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ephesians 3.20 says this, God is able to do far more than we can ever dare or ask or dream of, infinitely beyond their highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. So in other words, nothing is too hard for God or too big because he is sovereign. Over 20 times in the New Testament alone, God says, ask, seek, and knock. God says, I want you to ask. Now, isn't it encouraging? It's certainly to me. That there are things that are certainly beyond my control, but they are not beyond God's control. And that, to me, is enormously good news. Some of you are saying, well, my kids are starting to get out of control. Yep, I understand that. My mum knew what that was like. I've known what that was like. And for 14 years, it looked like one of my brothers was horrendously out of control as a heroin addict. Imagine that, mum. 
That's how my mum faced that. But she knew God was not out of the picture. And where she could not be with him, God was. And she prayed and her prayers were effective for him. Friends, your children are not beyond God's reach. They may be slipping your grasp. Some people say, oh, my health is out of control. And I can't do anything about it. I understand that. But here's what I do also understand, that God, it's not out of God's control. There is nothing impossible and nothing beyond God's control. That means in my present situation that I don't have any control over that job. I have no control of the decisions. They're handed down from on high. They're impacting on me. I feel like a pawn in the middle of it, and I can't control it. God invites you to pray about it. Um, this isn't kind of like, sort of like, if you think about like food, walking past and just picking up an odd chip and sticking it in your mouth and walking away. Pray. If you are serious about it, the prayer of a righteous man, fervently praying. Pray. Some may wonder, well, if God is sovereign over all the actions... Why pray at all? An intense of men? The answer is quite clearly this, for a start. Firstly, God commands in his holy word that we pray. And that is a word to some of you today. It's a tacit thing that you know you should be doing, but it's just a quick lick and a flick. So prayer is not optional for Christians. It is required. What happens is, when our prayers are answered, God's Spirit moves us, and for some reason He partners with us to pray His will into being. He not only commands us to pray, but He also invites us to have our legitimate needs met by making our request be made known to God. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Some of you are so independent that you just do everything by yourself. Now, I'm not, we need to work. Always. The Bible says work. But it also says, pray, like Nehemiah. He built the wall, and he prayed. He he was building, and he had a sword by his side too. He's incredibly practical, but he involved God. Some may object. Well, I've prayed and prayed for such and such, but he still hasn't given, listen to this, me what I want. The answer to that is the next verse. You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly, with wrong motives. What were the wrong motives? He spells it out there. To spend it on your passions. See, God's word is incredibly clear and very practical. God ordains prayer, listen carefully, as a means of accomplishing his purposes and his will. Prayer is not a means by which we change God's mind by praying and praying and arm wrestling because he's hard to get across the line. That is wrong. Prayer is not a means of us getting our will done in heaven, but a means of God getting his will done on earth. The Apostle John helps us with our understanding of prayer. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. The bottom line of why God doesn't answer all those requests sometimes is that God, the other side of it, he knows what is best. He is absolutely not a genie or a slot machine. Probably we know what a slot machine is. You know where? Put in the prayer, pull the handle. Dum, 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 dum. 
Dong, no, no, no. Try another prayer. Ching. Dong, 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 dong. That is not how God works. But we think, ah, oh, more and more and more. It's a prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not the prayer person who prays many, many repeated same words. The prayer of faith is what he's after. Now you may say, I don't understand how this situation I'm facing could be the best. I guess Joseph couldn't. I guess Job didn't. And it could go on and on. I guess Jesus didn't. I guess his disciples didn't. Now I don't understand either, but I'm not God and neither are you. That's what I've found. That's a great stress reliever. God, you are God and I am not. We need to be able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He's sovereign and in control. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I may not understand it in the moment, but someday I will. I will understand why those situations occurred. The Bible says, as we're wrapping this part up, in John 1 John 5, 14, when we pray according to God's will, then he'll hear us. This is the confidence. Here's that great word. The confidence that we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when God's spirit moves you, here it goes. It moves you to do something, to pray. And you pray. That's in line with the Father's will. That's what I want you to do. That's when you form a partnership with God and then God moves through that. Every true prayer, listen carefully to this. Every true prayer is a variation on the theme, not my will, but thy will be done. Just like Jesus. If it's possible, Lord, your Father, may this cup be taken from you. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It's a great example of that was in Jesus in Gethsemane, right? So let's wrap this by applying this in a practical way to your life. How about firstly your plans? Do you include God in your plans? What attitude would best reflect or describe your relationship? Is it presumption or is it cooperation? Do you make plans without even consulting God? If so, there's probably a likely a bunch of frustration, unnecessary frustration in your life. Instead, what we need to do is ask God, God, what is your will for my life? And you ask him for wisdom. So do you pray about your problems and plans or are you presumptuous? Some of you are saying, well, in this room today, I'm listening online. Well, one day I'm going to become a Christian. One day. I'm just waiting for the right time. Someday I'll commit my life to Christ. Well, one of these days I'm going to make my peace with God, ask for forgiveness for my sin and make sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Because I know that's coming. Now, to keep on waiting is presumptuous. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. That's a fact. The Bible says don't boast about tomorrow. For you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And don't presume among, on the future. Now is the day of salvation. So now is the time to accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross for your sin. Unless, of course, you want to stand before God and be judged on your own righteousness. Uh-uh, I don't want to do that. Before a holy God, are you kidding me? My righteousness is like filthy rags. So do it now while you're still here. Two, what about your problems? Do you look for God's purpose in your problems? Or do you have a habit to kind of like take those out, not use those attitudes of confidence and throw a pity party? And ask, well, why me? 
Why don't you change the question, God, what do you want me to learn through this? God wants you to learn to trust him, to trust his goodness and his graciousness and his sovereignty. Again, if you had a loss, maybe not as dramatic as Job, but a loss, how would you respond? Would you have the maturity of faith to say, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he can restore it if he wants to. Now, lastly, prayer. Do you take advantage of the priceless privilege of prayer? Instead of complaining about this or that, why don't you try praying about it? Do you worry about your finances? Well, pray about those things. Then you'll have a whole bunch less to worry about. Instead of giving up on your marriage, why don't you pray about your marriage? That it'll go from wherever it is and move forward. Remember, the things that are beyond your control are not beyond God's control because he's in control. He's sovereign. Some of you are in a situation right now that your situation is a mess and it seems hopeless. My question to you, if that's your situation, is how big do you think God is? If he can make a universe, is he big enough to handle your mess? Friends, you can't unscramble eggs, but you can make a decent omelette. God knows how to turn bad situations into good situations, to bring purpose out of problems. So when you're worried sick, here's the phrase, God is in control. Say it, God is in control in your mind. God is, I actually say it out loud. God is in control. Because that's the truth, and I need to remember that. When you're defeated and you're discouraged, or maybe you feel like a failure, you need to step back from that, have the attitude of God, and declare the truth, and say, God is in control. God is in control. When you're sick and flatten your back, you need to remind yourself, God is in control. When you're standing by a casket and wondering why now, why this time, you need to remember that God is in control and he's a good God. Tomorrow morning, when you read the headlines that are about chaos and division and ridiculousness beyond belief, you need to remember God is in control and this is moving towards the end that he talked about. When you face a problem that you can't handle on your own, remember God is in control. So because God is God, he has the right to call the shots in your life and mine. Because you and I wouldn't even be alive without God. And if you're not letting him do that, you're not living in line with his plan, and it's actually in rebellion, and that's why life is more frustrating. So the most intelligent, the most rational and sensible decision you'll ever make is to say, God, you are sovereign. And I want to cooperate with you and your plan. And I invite you to do that today. Let's bow our heads. Friends, God is in control whether you want to admit it or not. Whether you think it's fair or not. Whether you like it or not. 
He made you. He decided when you were going to be born, where you're going to be born, how long you're going to live. And he loves you. And your wishes that all should become part of his family. Now God says this. He says, I want you in my family. So to align your life with his will, would you think about praying these statements right now in your heart? Just think them in your mind. And say, God, I admit I've made a lot of plans and I've never ever consulted you. I know that's probably why I've had a lot of problems in my life. I'm presuming rather than cooperating with your sovereign will. Father, from this moment forward, I want to start planning. Start planning my life and counting on you, as your word says, to direct me. Father, I realize from looking at your word today that even the problems in my past all have a purpose. By the way, friend, it doesn't matter whether you cause a problem yourself or the devil caused a problem or whether someone else caused a problem. God can use all of them in your life. There is nothing you cannot learn if you respond the right way. Would you say, Father, would you help me look past the pain and see your purpose and what you want to teach me? Some of you need to say, Lord, I want to become a praying person. I've relied too much on my practical skill and forgotten. Father, you've given us a privilege of prayer and I hardly even talk to you seriously about it. I want to commit myself to becoming a person of prayer daily and regularly. The things that are out of my control, I want to turn them over to you, Father, because they're not beyond your control and I'm grateful for that. I want to relax in that. When my plans don't work out, I have to change. I want to be flexible because I know that you're in charge. So today, if you've never opened your life to Christ, would you do that? Would you say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Be the manager of my life and help me to see why I'm here on this earth for this brief period of time. I want you to call the shots and direct me. And when you help me to find the purpose for which you've made me, I ask you to save me. I admit that I've done wrong. And I ask for you to forgive me for those wrongs. And today I commit myself to you. Father, thank you that you're in charge. What a comfort that is. When we look at the world and it's troubling to see chaos, and yet there's a grand design and the clarity revealed in your word that's above it all. Help us to learn that our plans as humans have a limit. That our problems in this life have a purpose that you can use. And that our prayers can have an impact because of you. In Jesus' name, we thank you for this. Amen.